Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. I'm so excited to begin our study in Philippians today. The introduction today is uh, just, I'm, I'm so excited to be here. This is Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. We see in this, one of Paul's prison epistles, that Paul was not writing from a palace. You might think that with an the theme of joy that runs through this letter. But he wasn't writing from a palace. He was writing from a prison. This letter communicates the heart of an apostle, the heart of a pastor. He's a church planter. So when we open this letter, when we study this letter, we see a tender heart of a pastor for his people. This is a thank you letter. This letter would go into the hands of Epaphroditus who nearly lost his life due to a sickness. And he came as a representative of of the Philippian church to minister to Paul. And Paul says, wait, before you go, I have something I want to say to the people that sent you. I love them. It's a very different letter than when we study through Galatians. In Galatians, Paul didn't have anything positive to say to that church about them. He had only positive things to say about the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ and his ultimate triumphant plan over all false teaching and people who used to appear to believe who have lost their way. But Philippians is different. Philippians is a letter that's filled with joy. And his thank you note, as Paul puts this into the hands of Epaphroditus, What did that scene look like when he carries that letter back to those people? And Paul affirmed Epaphroditus and affirmed the church at Philippi. We're going to look at these first two verses. Uh, The Lord has brought us to this text for a reason, for a moment in our church history. Uh, Paul writes and he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers, or your Bible might say elders or bishops, and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the word of the living God. Amen. Amen. This is an apostle's love letter. You realize it's been a few weeks since I've been able to stand here and preach. Other men have filled this pulpit. Some were wondering if I, the, the, the crew in the back said, you have to face this way, all right? There's, look this way, reminding me in case I lost my way. I love you as a church. What Paul writes to this body of believers, I, I have experienced being the go-between of the ministry there in Africa just in the last month and you here. And all of the prayer that happened and is happening for our partners there and around the world, even this week, those guys were sending me videos daily of concrete being poured in that church. Like there's, there's work happening there. People are giving to say we're partnered with them. We love them. We care about the gospel in extremely difficult circumstances. Paul's letter here is traditional. 
He opens with himself as the author. That was a customary. We're used to signing a letter at the end. First century, they signed it at the beginning, Paul. And he is the author. Timothy is there with him. They're servants of God. Timothy may have been his scribe, his, uh, his person writing the letter. But he calls himself, and he actually includes Timothy in this, where servants were slaves of Christ Jesus. This is an intensely humble introduction. Paul here does not flex that he's an apostle. He doesn't have to say that. This church understands that. They love him. So when someone is walking in obedience, how you relate to them is different than when someone is walking in rebellion. They're not walking in rebellion. They have some issues, and he'll get to it. But he loves them. He's not alone. He's not a one-man show. He reminds them. They know Timothy. They remember Timothy. They love Timothy. And so he includes, Timothy's with me. Paul was always lifting up leaders around him. The recipients in this letter, he says to all the saints who are in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi with the overseers, with the bishops and deacons. Notice that's plural. Both of those groups. And we're going to look at those in the weeks to come. But the church is made up of those who have been converted to Christ. Even at the end of the service today, there, there's a list of names of individuals who are coming into membership who have come to faith in Christ, who have been baptized or will be baptized in the coming weeks. And they're coming into the body of believers here. So he writes to the saints. Notice that the saints, and we'll talk about this, they're not dead ones gone on in the, the afterlife. They're the ones receiving the letter who have been made holy because they belong to Christ, the work that he has done. The two offices in Scripture for the church is here. It's the overseers or the elders, the bishops, uh, another word for shepherds, for pastors, that office, and deacons. So the elders have asked me, teach on deacons because we have that provision in our constitution and bylaws that we put into place in 2019, but it's a biblical office and we want to rightly understand how is this office to function the way that God intended. And then he gets to the greeting, the salutation. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was filled with joy about these believers, this church at Philippi, but he's writing to encourage them. He planted the church there, but he hasn't forgotten about them. He's writing. He wants to encourage them, continue to move forward in the gospel. So today we'll dig back into this story. We'll go into the backstory that Stephen preached through this account when the year turned, this year, giving us the background. It's online. You can always find that sermon. A Cry for Help was the, the title of that sermon. It might have been Call for Help, Cry for Help. That was uh, January, the first Sunday of January. We, I was listening to that sermon on the road. So this week, he's like, you know, I preached that. I was like, yeah, I forgot that again. So I listened to that message again, how God has prepared us to come to this moment. This morning, we're going to look at this, and the sermon title is Church Planning 101, Servants. Servants. The church exists for the advancement of God's kingdom through the work of the gospel. Pastor Doug was here three weeks ago, that's the message that he preached. I, I orchestrated all of this, you realize. I planned all of this from January to... You don't have to laugh that loud, okay? But this is the thing. This is the plan. This is what we want to be 
Not, oh, we used to do that. No, this is what we are here to do for the glory of God. Therefore, then, churches must be, and we're going to see this uh, as we unpack this letter and the backstory to the church at Philippi, churches must be established. They must be established. The church at Philippi, if you just write that down there in your notes, established, and then go back with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, we see the background again and. I will just read it and just mention because we need this history without preaching through Acts 16, but to give us the context for the church that was planted in Philippi. Now, Philippi was about 10 miles from the coast. It was up from the coast. It it sat right along the, the Roman highway. So when Paul landed on the coast, he made his way up 10 miles in to this city. How did he get there? Paul's pattern His example is valuable. It's valuable for us. That he was obedient to the Lord Jesus' command. He was intentional in planting churches. So for the churches to be established, then what must take place? Letter A, we must be obedient to Jesus' commission. There must be obedience. If we're going to do what our master and commander has enlisted us to do, then we have to be obedient. And this was the overarching mandate that governed Paul's life. When Paul came to faith in Christ, he was blinded by Jesus on the road to Damascus, and the Lord came to one named Ananias, and the Lord said, go to my servant, go to Saul, you're going to minister to him. Acts 9 and verse 15, the Lord said to him, This is to Ananias. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Haven't we just come through the end of Romans chapter 8? There will be suffering. This is not fine print at the bottom of the page 932. This is when he's still without sight, wondering what is going to define my life now. Where am I going to go with my life now? Ananias, I need you to go meet this murdering descendant of the tribe of Benjamin against the tribe of Judah. And you're going to show him. You're going to open his eyes and you're going to show him what his life is going to be redefined by. And it's what Jesus said in Matthew 28. And Paul wasn't there on that day, but he learned about it from Jesus. Verse 18, and Jesus came to them, to his disciples. And this is what he said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, you can't do this alone. And you'll never be alone. I am with you how often? Always. To the end of the age, I will be with you. 
You will not be alone. And in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Luke records Jesus saying, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And that word became associated with martyrdom. In Jerusalem, that's where you start. Start where you are. And then you're going to branch out in all Judea and Samaria. Those people out there forgotten by, by both of their heritages. And you're not going to stop there. You're going to go to the end of the earth. So when we get to Acts chapter 16, we find Paul, he's moving out on his second missionary journey. He's obedient to what Jesus commanded. He took a young man with him, and here we are introduced to a man named Timothy. Acts chapter 16, verse 1, Paul also, he came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the, by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And they went on their way through the cities. They delivered to them for the observance, for observance, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they, the churches, increased in numbers daily. We see a growth that is happening. Paul takes Timothy with him. And here, we study through Galatians, and Paul refused to have Titus circumcised because they were trying to connect that with, in order to be a good Christian, you must also be a physical Jew. Here, we say, well, is this a contradiction in Scripture? Why then would Paul have Timothy circumcised before he went out on a missionary trip, before he went out on a missionary journey? This is what F.F. F. Bruce has to say about why Paul would do this. He says, by Jewish law, Timothy was a Jew because he was the son of a Jewish mother. But because he was uncircumcised, he was technically an apostate Jew. If Paul wished to maintain his links with the synagogue, he could not be seen to countenance apostasy. So with Timothy, he had to, he had to reconcile you have Jewish heritage, and in order for us to go where we go and them not think that you are despising your Jewish heritage or embarrassed of your Jewish heritage, you need to fall in line with the Jewish tradition for the sake of honoring people so that we can talk to them about Jesus, who was a Jew who came as Messiah. And Timothy said, okay, I want to do what is best for the sake of the gospel. So there must be obedience to Jesus Christ, and Timothy was that, and Paul was that. There also must be submission to the Holy Spirit. A submission to the Holy Spirit, because now in Acts 16, Paul moves on, and he's looking for, here's where I want to go. Here's where I believe I should go in sharing the gospel. And there's such a, such a harvest to be brought in in Asia. And he's looking at those opportunities, and he's prayerfully considering, but he's sensitive He's sensitive to the leading and the direction of the Holy Spirit. We aren't told exactly how the Spirit led him, but that the Spirit led him. In Acts 16, verses 6 through 12, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. 
So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, we sought, so Luke is with them, sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there, verse 12, to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. So here we see that Paul is sensitive. The door was closed to modern-day Turkey, and so he just keeps seeking out, where should I go? Where is the place that I should go? And he submitted to the leading of the Holy Spirit. One writer made the comment that David Livingstone wanted to go to China, but God sent him to Africa. William Carey wanted to go to Polynesia, but God sent him to India. Adoniram Judson wanted to go to India, but God guided him to Burma. God guides us along the way to just the right place. Listen, when my job came to an end at the last church, we were talking about it yesterday at the men's Bible study at the table, and I thought, oh man, I knew of a church in Ohio and a church in Kentucky that I'm just... They're needing a pastor right now. This is okay. This will work out. We lost the job, you know, here, but it's going to be okay. Those churches never called. I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to be finally done with the 10-cent bottle deposit. That's what I was thinking when I was sitting there across the desk, like, whoa, you know, I, I will not have to save these cans anymore. I'm going south, you know. That wasn't the Lord's plan. Richmond, Michigan, not Kentucky, said, come on over. And we can't. The Lord guides exactly where he wants us to be. Hindrance closed the door to Asia Minor, but opened the door for Paul to answer this Macedonian call to come over. Probably would have been about AD 49 or 50. And here Luke says this was a leading city. This little Rome, Philippi, this little piece of Rome on foreign soil, on European soil. So Paul would have traveled on the Ignatian Way uh, there's, there's a, a few photos that'll come up, I believe, right here. This is what remains of the city there in Philippi. So, so this would have been vibrant and functioning, a marketplace, the Ignatian way that Paul would have traveled from coast to coast. He could have gone on that. So he's made his way up 10 miles. He's made his way into this area, and he is looking for the place to plant a church. There's inscriptions even on that stone that talk about Philippi, this place, a little Rome, the great military, Roman military highway that sp it stretched from the Adriatic Sea to the Aegean Sea. Modern-day city here is Kavala, Greece. And it was pretty interesting because I, I watched a YouTube video of a tour. Somebody was there and, and, and there was a lady and you'll see in, in just a few moments at the prison where they believe Paul was held. And the, the Grecian uh, tour guide is reading Acts 16 standing there. She just got her Bible and just reading the account. It's, a, it's absolutely incredible. It's like I was there with a much shorter plane ride. There must be boldness in sharing the gospel if the churches will be established. Paul arrived in Philippi. He immediately 
began the work of church planting. Immediately, he was bold. He was kind, he was gracious. He loved people, he truly loved people. But he boldly shared the gospel. We see this unfold in verse 13 of Acts 16. His boldness, what is he gonna do? Well, he didn't wait a long time. But on the Sabbath day, this was his custom, he, we went outside, Luke is including himself, we went, this missionary team, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. No, no, that's okay. That's all right. We'll be all right. And she prevailed upon us. No, seriously, you know, ladies like this, you look hungry, sit down, I'm going to feed you. Yes, ma'am. Ginger's grandma was that way, like, right, get you some more. I'm good. No, get you some more. Okay, yes, ma'am. This is, she prevailed on us. No, seriously, the Lord has given me sufficient space. You, You need space. You're staying in my house. This is how she talks to the apostle. Like, come here, you're coming with me, boy. You know, come on. How could you not love Lydia? What a glorious woman. And as we were going to the place of prayer, verse 16, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling, this python spirit. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. And and this she kept doing for many days, Paul having become, I like this, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour immediately. There was no long drawn out battle. It happened. There's boldness in sharing the gospel. Loved ones, the greatest help that we can bring to anyone is the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. It is good for us to bring food. It's good for us to bring electricity. It's good for us to bring water. But the most important and beneficial gift that we can bring is the gospel of Jesus Christ because without the gospel, little real help is ever given. So all, there are many programs that, are, that come under mission work in various places, but if it's not related to bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ, it eternally, it ultimately is not helping. It's prolonging judgment without the cure, which is Jesus. There are a couple pictures. Um, I, I get all these photos from holylandphoto.org. And this guy just provides them uh, for churches and for people who enjoy studying. And this is a photo, this is a photo right here of the picture of the riverside. The, if we can just go back 2,000 years and you walk out, and Paul walks out on the Sabbath day with that missionary team of Timothy and Silas, and, and there he is with, with Luke, and they walk out, and is anybody going to be here? And they walk out, and there's Lydia and some women on the bank of that river. And they sit down and they begin to tell them the gospel. And she comes to faith. The Lord opens her heart. And there in those waters, she says, I'm ready to be baptized. 
I've been waiting on Jesus Messiah and he came and he lived the life I couldn't live and he died my death, you're telling me, and he, he ascended, he rose from the dead and he's at the right hand of the Father and he's coming again and he gave you the command to go preach this gospel and make disciples and baptize, then I'm all in. And the Bible says, Luke records, and her household was right there with her. Followers of Christ. There wasn't a Jewish synagogue there in Philippi, which means there were less than 10 male Jews. Philippi was a a heavily influenced Roman military colony. When Paul walked into that city, he is speaking to and ministering to the grandsons that won the great battle with Augustus, who, you know, would become Augustus Caesar and the Republic would end in Philippi, in the plain, and it would be the Caesars, the upper class, ruling over the empire. It happened there. So Paul is dealing with the grandsons who heard about that great conquest. We'll see more of that in weeks to come. And there he is. He's going to prayer, and that that girl keeps on following and bothering and bringing the testimony. What she was saying is true. And Paul is just greatly annoyed. You ever get annoyed when someone mocks you? When someone mocks you? You know, quit doing that, quit doing that. My family's kind of good at this. They know how to do this. They're like, just get under your skin. Like, this is, this woman is, her voice, her tone, this, this demon who knew who Jesus is, is speaking the truth, but it's coming from a defiled voice. And Paul is just frustrated. He's, he's, just at the end of his rope, and he turns, and in the name of Jesus, he sets that slave girl free. Listen to Matthew 8, verse 28. Demons know exactly who Jesus is. They know exactly. They're on the losing side. They know this. Matthew 8, 28, and when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. This is un- the whole town lived in fear of these guys. And behold, verse 29, they cried out. This is, they're saying this to Jesus. What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? They knew who Jesus was. They knew that they were on a short leash. Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled. Going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their, re- their region. They saw this man, another gospel says, sitting clothed and in his right mind. When I was in India with the Shahs, we heard a woman and Isaac translated for us that they tried everything and her son would run around naked and demon-possessed and someone said, go to the church. 
And she said, I went to the church and they prayed and fasted over my son. And Isaac said, I will never forget this. He said, uh, where is your son now? And she said, he is at home sitting and clothed and in his right mind. I was like, whoa, God is awesome. I've heard this before. Mark chapter 3, verse 11, And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, saw Jesus, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Your witness? I don't want it. Silence. And they were silenced. So in Acts 16, Paul casts out the spirit of divination. Paul and Silas are brought before the cities of the leader. They looked completely Jewish. So here we have anti-Semitism. They take out of this missionary team the most Jewish individuals, Paul and Silas. They're doing the work of God. And doing the work of God, loved ones, it always brings conflict. Always. In our families in our own hearts, in the world that we live in. They single these men out. They bring him before the magistrates, the owners of that slave girl who were so angry. Before they would go to battle, they would go seek a, you know, a, a psychic. We have those around. Well, before I make this decision, I'm going to go see and consult. That's what they would do. And it brought in a lot of money. We also see not only boldness, but letter D, endurance through suffering. If churches are going to be established, then this is not a fair weather when it all goes well, count me in. Eh, things get a little tough. I'm not sure I can make it. This is endurance through suffering. This is the heritage of this church founded in Philippi. Paul and Silas, they suffered and when they suffered, they entered into a time of praise, thanksgiving, and worship, locked up in the dungeon. Acts 16, 19 through 34. When the owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the ruler. So you have that mental image, the imagery that was on the screen where they brought Paul and Silas. Now it's all rubble. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had afflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were, what? What are they doing? They're listening to them. Captive audience, right there, okay? And suddenly, there was a great earthquake. 
so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. This is incredible. Then he brought them out and said, look at this role reversal now. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and he washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. You hear the joy happening in Philippi and where it was born? It wasn't born out there with the magistrates in the marketplace. It was in the prison. Paul and Silas experienced great pain for the cause of Christ. There's two photos that'll come up of what they believe is the prison where Paul was held. This is where uh, there was the video uh, playing of the lady reading about uh, maybe 50 yards back from that door and she's just reading Acts 16. The, the next screen is, if this is the dungeon where they were held, not, not nice conditions. And they're singing and they're praising God. Tertullian said, the, the legs feel nothing, feel nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven. Amen. Oh, they were, they were down there in the dungeon, but their heart seated on, on high with Christ. And so they're singing and they're praising God. They made use of a divine opportunity to share the gospel with the jailer, with the prisoners, with the entire household of the jailer. His question What's, what must, must I do to be saved? That's the main problem that we all have. And Paul got straight to the point. He knew the gospel. This man was changed. He preached to him. He explained to him the gospel. There was an old uh, chaplain general of the British Army. His name was Bishop John Taylor Smith. He used a unique test if someone was going to become an, a chaplain and serve with him. And this was his test. If someone has three minutes to live, can you share the gospel with them? And if they couldn't share the gospel in three minutes, he would say, you are not qualified to be a chaplain. Can you share the gospel in three minutes? God created us to worship him and enjoy him forever. Our sin separated us from God. He's holy. We've fallen. S, sins cannot be removed by doing good deeds. Good works will never pay that debt. P, paying the price for your sin and my sin. Jesus came, lived the life that we could not live. He died the death that we deserve to die. He was buried. He rose again. He ascended. He is coming again. And he is giving everyone, E, Everyone who turns from their sin and trusts in him alone, L, life that never ends. Do you believe this? What did that take? One minute? I can go be a chaplain in, in, in the general's you know, core. 
I want you to be qualified that if you come upon an accident scene and someone has three minutes to live, you are not fumbling with what is the gospel. This is what they need. But why wait till it's an accident scene? Let's get to that around Thanksgiving dinner, around Sunday dinner, around going and taking pictures at the orchard to the gospel. It's what we are in desperate need of. The Lord was doing a mighty work here. This man was, he had a broken heart. Uh, one writer said that he washed Paul and Silas' stripes and God washed his sins. Wow. This man has changed. Letter E, there must be wisdom in planning for the future. There must be wisdom in planning for the future. If we're gonna be a church planting church, all of these characteristics that we see here in Philippi 2,000 years ago, they still apply to us today. Verse 35, but when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, hey, the magistrates, they have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. What would you do? Woohoo! Yes! Paul has a different plan here. But Paul said to them, verse 37, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned. Men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison, and do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. They tried them, by a public mob, condemned them, beat them, and put them in prison, and they didn't know who they were, and there was nothing proven. They're afraid. The police reported these words. So they came, verse 39, and apologized to them. What did that look like? And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So when they went out of the prison, We'll leave, but not yet. And visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. What is Paul doing here? This is wisdom in planning for the future. Paul leveraged his Roman citizenship to protect the believers that were gathering in Philippi. He didn't run from the magistrate to, in order to save himself. Whew, we got out. It's all good for me. He said, no, I'm going to do what's best for generations to come in this church, in this town for the church. He was a messenger of Jesus and he refused to back down to anyone that would try to say, you can't gather. That sound familiar? That's the world we live in right now where local and state governments and national governments trying to say a church can't gather. And Paul said, actually, 
I'm a Roman citizen. And some would say, well, that's not loving your neighbor. And that's disobedience to government because we have scripture that says when government says disobey God, God rules over all governments. And so we are commanded to be obedient and discerning and caring and compassionate. So we have to work that out. Every church has to work out. How do you do that? That's why we're online the way we are right now, in endeavoring to spread the gospel so that we can be obedient and people who are not able to join are still able to go right along with us in where we are. Paul said, I'm not leaving quietly. You beat and imprisoned a Roman citizen with no proper trial. And they were afraid because he could have taken them to task and gone further with that. And he said, well, here's what I'll do. I'm just gonna stop by Lydia's house. I have some unfinished business there and I'm gonna encourage all the brothers. Who's in charge now? And the church lives on and where those guys functioned every day and went to, went to work every day, you saw the pictures. Not much happening there, except people like you and me walk by and take pictures. Oh, look, they used to do important things here. Who? Whose name is remembered? Paul. Paul was here. Silas was here. Tell me a name of a magistrate. Don't know. But Paul was there and the gospel came there, and the church was born. So churches must be established. Just look at that list, loved ones. Does this describe us as a church? Are we wholeheartedly committed to be obedient to Jesus' commission, to submit to the Holy Spirit, to be bold in sharing the gospel, to endure through suffering, and that wisdom is used in every aspect in planning for the future of the church, not just what we want here and now? That's how a church is established. Also, that we must be equipped. The church of Philippi, was a, it was founded upon the truth, the truth with godly leadership. So we go back to Philippians, and Paul writes, and he, and he gives these two offices, overseers and deacons. Churches that are well-equipped are grounded upon the truth. Isn't that what we see in Acts 16? It's grounded on the truth. He went there in love. He went there in obedience. He suffered. And he didn't leave town quietly under the cover of darkness. He said, no, no, no. A church is born here. And I'll take any pressure that will come and you can bring it on me so that it ma makes a way for a, a little slave girl and Lydia over here in her household. And now there's a Philippian jailer in his household. The church is here. And you're loved and I'm not leaving quietly, and I'll be back. It's not hard to love the Apostle Paul, is it? You see his heart for people. You see his heart for Christ. Ephesians 4, he said, the equipping of the church that God gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. A church must be equipped. This church was grounded on the truth. Paul understood the identity and purpose of the church, that the church is the bride of Christ and she will be victorious, Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church will be victorious. That's a guarantee. 
The church, he would write to, to Timothy later on in Ephesus, 1 Timothy 3.15. He says, Paul to Timothy, but if I delay, I want to see you, but if I can't get there right away, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. He equipped Timothy. I want you to know you are serving in the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground, the buttress of the truth. So know who you are, know what you're to do, know who the church is, and fulfill your ministry. The church is to herald the truth of God in the middle of a crooked and perverse culture for the glory of God and for the good of all people, 2 Timothy 4. This is what Paul says. We, we, we put this even on the the document that we went through in Africa. I charge you in the presence of God, Timothy, and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Timothy, here's your responsibility. Every man of God, every preacher, every servant of God, every person of God, wherever we go, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They're a dime a dozen all over YouTube. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you. Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. As for you. Can I say that to you? Fulfill your ministry. What is your ministry? Jesus is coming. What is your ministry? Are you fulfilling your ministry? The church must be not only grounded on the truth, but the church must be guarded by godly leaders. So everywhere that Paul established a church, he made sure that there's healthy leadership. There's a team put into place. Paul instructed Timothy in Ephesus, Titus on the island of Crete. It's kind of interesting, flying over to, to, over to Africa. I was, I was uh, just looking at the different outlines on my iPad, and, and I was watching the flight go, you know, from point, you know, origination to destination down in Ethiopia. And when I was studying on, on Titus, and I look on the screen, and it's like, hey, if I jumped out right now, I could maybe float and land on the island of Crete. I didn't do it. Wouldn't be recommended at 40,000 feet, but I just happened to be right over, there's Crete, right there. I I thought that was amazing. All right, I just thought I'd share that with you. This is what Paul says to Titus, Titus 1.5. This is why I left you in Crete. So that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. You hear what Paul is saying? I didn't, I didn't have time to get everything done that needed to be done, so I left you there. We didn't just leave. I left you there to do what we were lacking, finish. Well, what am I supposed to do? What was lacking? You need elders in every city, a plurality of elders in every church. So Titus, fulfill your ministry. I directed you, make sure you're doing what I left you to do. Number three, not only must... Churches be established and equipped, but they also must be encouraged. That's the whole tone of this letter that Paul wrote to the saints to encourage them, to exhort them in love and in truth. 
There they were living in a Roman province, situated on European soil, foreign soil. Paul is highlighting to them, you are citizens of heaven and you're living on earth, foreign soil. You're an outpost of heaven where you live. You live in Richmond, live in Chesterfield, live up in Memphis. Where do you live? You're in an outpost, citizen of heaven on foreign soil. That theme is going to be going. And, and, and we're here for a reason. So he's writing, he's saying, live to please the Lord Jesus first. Live to please the Lord Jesus. He is our Lord. He is our master. Above anyone else, live for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. Now that, we hear and we say, yeah, that's right, amen. In Philippi, they heard often all around that, you know, marketplace, Caesar is Lord. We worship Caesar. He won the battle here and we worship him, emperor worship. So when Paul writes that Jesus is Lord, he's reminding them, keep your eyes on eternity. Live to please the Lord. If we live to please the Lord Jesus Christ, then loved ones, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what other people say about us. You know, they applaud, wonderful, wonderful, okay. Boo, we don't like you. You're awful, you're the worst, we hate your message. Yeah, but is it the message of the Lord? Is it, is it his word? Well, then still be compassionate and care about people. That's how we'll truly be valuable to those around us. If we're just going side by side, covering our gospel light, what good are we? So he says, live to please the Lord Jesus. He's encouraging them. That's gonna be the theme through this book. And he says, remember the partnerships. You're not alone. Paul had to leave Philippi, but they were never out of his mind. They were never out of his heart, and they were never out of his prayers, and we're gonna see that in this letter. He'll explain this so clearly. Look down at verse, just verse at f- uh, five. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. First day. We just read about the first day. The first day you washed my stripes, jailer. The first day, Lydia, you came to faith in Christ and you were baptized. And you have been partners ever since then. You hear the love that he has for them? You're not alone. I'm not with you, but you're not alone. We're partnered together in the gospel. We have the spirit of Christ and we have one another. And number four, the church must be expanded. You could even say multiplied. This church in Philippi was the result of the obedience to the Great Commission 2,000 years ago and that's why the church was planted there the first church on European soil because Paul was active in carrying out the master's mission. The church was born. It was planted. So Paul is saying, the gospel came to you. I brought the gospel to you. It was a team that came to you. And we suffered. But to the glory of God, you are alive. Hey, 60 years ago, about 50 people got together and this church was born. 
This church has been through ebbs and flows and ups and downs like many churches have. Times when the church would met before I even came, when people gathered in one of the rooms around here saying, do we keep the doors open or do we cease to be a church? And the Lord sovereignly kept the light on here. Amen? And keeps us thinking forward. The, ch the church, it was born. It's alive. It's his church and the church will prevail. The church was planted there in Philippi, probably about 59 AD. We were planted in 1962. Revitalized, transitioning into elders June 30th, 2019. Oh, the Lord is good to us. Loved ones, that's wonderful if the church was born, but if this whole sermon ended there, we would miss the point of church planting 101. Understand what Paul is doing with them and what he would have for us. Healthy churches reproduce. Healthy churches reproduce. Paul could say to the Philippians and he could say to us, the gospel came to you because it was on its way to someone else. We are not to be a pond. Water comes in and sits there. I took another message in and it sits there. Went through another small group and it just sits there. We're to be a stream. What would you rather drink from, a pond or a stream, right? What would people around us rather have that would be refreshing to them, a pond of people who really know our Bibles well and we're really theologically sound? And what do you do with that? Uh, I learn more. For what? Reproduce. Make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's how we're here 2,000 years later. It's because somebody cared enough to share the gospel with someone and they shared the gospel with someone and they shared the gospel with you or you're hearing it maybe today for the first time. May you respond in a way that pleases the Lord. When I came back in 2015 from Africa, I was convinced by the Holy Spirit, convicted that it had taken too long to make that transition into eldership. I told that man in Africa, you have no idea what, what your one question put me on in a life course. And I thank you. I thank you for that. And he just looks at me, he's like, okay. He'll understand in heaven one day. I believe right now the Lord is convicting me and convincing me of what are we doing to partner that we are planting churches. As much as I was convicted and convinced then of moving to eldership, I'm convicted right now and convinced that what have we done personally in our 60-year history to plant another church? Who have we sent from this church to go where they don't have a church and we've planted them? If This is what we as elders are prayerfully considering right now. This is why I had Doug come and preach here because we need to be expanded. If we are going to be a functioning, healthy church, then we're gonna have to get our eyes up off of ourselves. And yes, God, we'll grow the church here, but where are we sending someone? And so I'm praying and thinking about men I'm looking at right now saying, will God use them? Will they be a pastor sent from this church with a team and plant a church? Will they move miles, minutes, or states away? I don't know but I want you to join 
And I want you to be praying, God, how will we be what Paul was to Philippi? How will we be like that? And we send someone and we send a team. And maybe this is where if we partner with other churches, they may have some missing parts that we don't have that we can plant a church for the glory of God and the good of all peoples. Amen? He is so good. He is so faithful. I love you as a people. I'm just filled with joy to serve here as your pastor. I don't say it often enough. I love you. The prayers of God's people is so palpable. It's so real. And I appreciate you. And I think, and for those who serve our kids' ministry, serving the children, music in the back, taking care of buildings, preparing coffee. I mean, I'm going to get in trouble because I'm not going to mention something. I'm telling you, I'm filled with gratitude over what you do for the glory of God and the good of all peoples. And if the Philippians receive this letter, if we receive this letter, you know what it's going to do? It's going to be the invitation to how do I grow? God, how can you use me even more for your glory and the good of all peoples? Will you stand with me? Oh, Father, I thank you for your church. I thank you for your people. It's not the building. The building is important, but it's your people, Lord. I thank you for your salvation that you freely offer because Jesus paid the price, such a high price he paid with his own blood so that I could be forgiven, so that we could be set free, so that we could be adopted, so, Father, I pray that you will save those who are without Christ this morning, that they will be convicted of their sin, and they will trust in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and follow you in obedience. I pray that you will help us as a body of believers, that we will encourage one another, that we will grow together in grace, that we will grow together in love, that we will grow together in boldness for the glory of God and the good of all peoples. Father, I pray that you will use us however you choose to use us. Comfort those who are struggling right now. Maybe we have people, I know we do. It's not maybe. We have people who are in seasons of great difficulty, physical health, emotional instability, just having a hard time making ends meet due to the economy and all that's going on, the pressures that way. Lord, maybe dealing with sin, Maybe not trusting you and your sovereignty, but beginning and struggling with doubting you. Father, I pray that you will deal with our hearts and you will remind us you are the potter. You are the author. We are the canvas. We are the clay. And you will work all things together for good to those who love you, to those who are the called according to your purpose. So Father, we trust you. Help us to trust you more and use us, use us for the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Let's worship again and let's sing this again together. You make all things. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. 
please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.